0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Friday, August 21st. A good day to subscribe to The Local and to share it with friends. Today, back in the day, August 21st, 1852, the United States Senate held hearings on the 19 treaties Anson Dart had negotiated with Oregon tribes. The issue was tabled, and the treaties were never ratified. In April and May of 1851, Anson Dart and his commissioners had signed 5 treaties with the Kalapuya and Malala tribes of the Lamet Valley and the Cascade Range. In June, he traveled east to Umatilla to meet with tribes there. He pledged to negotiate fairly and offered to pay tribes for their land. He also promised that Eastern tribes could choose their own teachers and that they would not be, and I am quoting, disturbed in their religious practices, a promise that contradicted the government's orders to bring American missionary teachers among the tribes. From August to September, Dart negotiated 13 treaties with the Chinook tribes in the Columbia River, the Tillamook tribes of the northern Oregon coast, and the Rogue River tribes at Port Orford. In all, Dart negotiated 19 treaties with Oregon tribes. When those treaties were submitted to Congress in the summer of 1852, they were opposed by the Secretary of Interior, Alexander Stewart, because they failed to fully clear the western Oregon lands for American settlers. The treaties were heard in the Senate today back in the day, August 21, 1852, and then tabled forever, never to be ratified. Several years later, J.R. Orton of the New York Times wrote that during the whole of Dart's superintendency, peace and quiet were maintained. The failure of Congress to ratify those treaties contributed to the beginning of increased hostility and wars between new settlers and tribes in Oregon throughout the 1850s. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln refused to appoint Dart as the superintendent of the Washington Territory, anonymously citing disparaging comments about Dart's character from leading Oregon politicians. And today, back in the day, August 21st, 1858, the first Lincoln-Douglas debate happened in Illinois. Lincoln had stated his position on slavery while accepting the Republican nomination on June 16th in Springfield. A House divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently, half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the House to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. Deciding to meet in seven of Illinois' nine voting districts, the candidates agreed to alternate speaking order in each location. One would speak for an hour, followed by an hour and a half rebuttal, and then a final 30 minutes. The first debate was held in Ottawa, in Northern Illinois, August 21st, today back in the day 1858, and over 10,000 people watched. The ensuing six debates covered issues of trade, expansion, a faltering economy. The debates focused mostly on the issue of slavery. Those Lincoln-Douglas debates, which still inspire college debates, were reported in papers across the country, narratives varying wildly according to the allegiances of each publication. The state election became a focus of a wider national debate. And the Illinois election and those Lincoln-Douglas debates became the focus of a broader national debate. X-ray.
1: And now it's time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. Today is Friday, August 21st. The Portland Police Bureau are struggling with staffing concerns in the face of continuing protests. Oregon State Police have not been sending troopers to the protests since last Thursday, leaving the PPB alone downtown. This has left a large hole in PPB's staffing capabilities. 43 officers are set to retire this month alone. Budget cuts in July reduced the allotted full-time officer positions from 1,001 to 917 Right now, there are 905 full-time sworn officers. Nearby agencies have pledged assistance for emergencies like active crimes, but are not contributing to the protest policing efforts. These cooperative efforts, called mutual aid agreements, have been trickier in Oregon since last year. A million-dollar lawsuit was handed down after a Washington County officer wounded a man in a PPB-led operation. The suit caused Washington and Clackamas counties to pull out of their mutual aid agreements with PPB. Despite the recent uptick in shootings both in Portland and nationwide, crimes like drug offenses, shoplifting, and some property crimes have decreased by 50% during the pandemic. But violence has stained protests recently. Two people were assaulted by the downtown protests. On Sunday, videos showed two incidents of assault. The first is of a woman outside of 7 Eleven, outside of 4th and Taylor near the protests. The video shows five to 10 people who have frequented the protests assaulting her. Second assault happened nearby at Broadway and Taylor. Videos show a man crashing his truck and being pulled out by protesters and assaulted. The driver has since been released from the hospital. Danielle James. An organizer with Moms United for Black Lives said, We want the public to know that we're not those folks beating people up and robbing them. It's a stain on the movement. Here's your daily dose of data. On Wednesday, Oregon reported 203 new cases and 11 deaths. Total confirmed cases in Oregon have reached 23,870. Oregon's death toll is now 408. The OHA is now offering grants for tribal communities and organizations. The Oregon Health Authority has $45 million from the Federal CARES Act to distribute. Funds are meant to address, quote, systemic racism and other health and economic inequities, tribal communities, and communities of color experience, which have been compounded by COVID-19. More specifically, the grants are meant to help alleviate economic disruptions, food and housing insecurity, and violence prevention. Applications for the grants will be due on August 31st. A record $925 million in damages will be awarded in an unlawful telemarketing case. case was brought against Vassalis, a Michigan-based marketing company. Portland jury found the company guilty of illegal pre-recorded robocalls. These calls violate the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. Passed in 1991, the TCPA restricts the use of automated marketing calls. Each individual violation of the TCPA costs the company $500. The Portland jury found the company guilty of 1,850,436 unlawful calls to residential and cell phone numbers. The attorney representing Vassalis has asked the court to reduce the penalty to less than a dollar per call. Federal judge has upheld the original penalty decided in April of last year. Governor Kate Brown will lead a nationwide coalition of governors to ensure integrity of the general election. After recent attempts by the Trump administration to interfere in USPS operations, many are concerned about the upcoming election. On Tuesday, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy announced he will halt all changes he was making until after the election. It is still unclear if any actions that have recently happened will be reversed. The next day, Brown announced the formation of the coalition so that, quote, people do not have to choose between their health and safety and their right to vote. Other states whose governors are part of the coalition include California, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. The governors have agreed to hold the election on November 3rd, ensure that Electoral College electors vote as they are pledged, and generally make sure the election is carried out safely and fairly. Meanwhile, Oregon has joined at least 20 other states in two lawsuits against the Trump administration for undermining mail-in voting. The lawsuit claims that Postmaster DeJoy made changes to the service unlawfully and that the changes disenfranchise voters nationwide. Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum made it clear that though DeJoy had suspended further changes to the USPS, the suit would carry on. The Army Corps ignored endangered species protections in the Willamette. A federal judge found that a federally owned dam did not carry out Endangered Species Act protections for Chinook, Salmon, and Steelhead. The Army Corps of Engineers did not take steps laid out by a 2008 Willamette River Biological Opinion Plan that included measures to ensure the survival of native fish species. The suit was filed in 2018 and calls for adjustments on dams on four key tributaries to the river. One of the worst failures was the lack of a downstream fish passage at Cougar Dam. The passage was supposed to be built by 2014 but is not expected to be complete until 2022. These dams block between 40 and 90 percent of spawning habitats. Good news is Oaks Park is open for roller skaters. The Selwood Amusement Park has been hosting socially distant skate parties. The events are put on by Portland's roller derby team, the Rose City Rollers. Guests can skate through the entire outdoor section of the park. The indoor roller rink, which features a massive live organ, is still closed to visitors. Skaters can bring their own equipment or rent it from the Skate Mobile, a mobile roller skate rental service. Sessions are limited 50 people, but the park covers 43 acres, so skaters should not have trouble staying 6 feet apart. If you've been waiting to start that TikTok channel showing your mad skating skills, now's the time. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown.
0: Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury, is back with a roundup of local news.
1: Good morning, Alex.
2: Good morning.
1: What are you covering? What do you wanna what do you wanna talk about today?
2: Well, I feel like I for the past weeks, there's been so much focus on protests mm-hmm. that I kind of want to not talk about protests for a minute. <laughs> um, even though these nightly protests have continued for a while and they continue mm-hmm. to change and form, um, there's still some other stuff happening in city council and in city politics. Um, one thing that I think kind of went under the radar was this audit that was released um, last Thursday from the city auditor's office about um, these the Portland's business uh, districts. There's these three districts that are basically run and overseen by um, local business leaders and property owners. One is uh, Clean and Safe, which I think people mm-hmm. might be the most familiar with downtown. And um, they're allowed by the city to, to collect funds to um, kind of add extra services to their district. So, you know, if um, they want that money to go towards extra trash pickup or graffiti cleaning or kind of anything that to, to better beautify this um, different business areas um, but one concerning piece of it is that they also get to use these funds and the city allows them to use funding to pay for security and to pay for police officers and um, prosecutors to work on their side to kind of abate crime but mostly that means abate homelessness and um, uh, kind of have private, or have public police officers on private payrolls to um, kind of at the beck and call of business owners in those districts to say, hey, there's someone you know sleeping in front of my, my building. Can you come, um, you know, wake them up and move them? Or, or even like lower level crimes, there's public intoxication, mm-hmm. um, you know, police will come and, and, and help. Um, And, you know, that, of course, that's kind of the realization of this audit is finding that um, there is really no oversight to this form of kind of private-public-public-private policing. Uh, And in a moment when we are talking so much at the city level about accountability and police and uh, law enforcement kind of transparency, uh, holding them accountable, there's really, this audit found, there's really no oversight when it comes to um, how business Leaders and property owners in the area, if they have enough money, can buy into these business districts and really have um, police officers and private security at their um, kind of on command. And they don't have to, especially for private security. There's no um, oversight group the city funds to make sure that you know if there's any instance of misconduct. um, There's nowhere to go, uh, even if this is being okayed by the city. and so that was kind of that was eye opening. I think it's something that mm. has gone under the radar for a while in the city. Um, and, I know that there's been some discussion about the concerns between private um, security and and maybe police officers working as private security after hours. But this is specifically on kind of the um, on on the on the books <laughs> and um, officers who are members uh, who are working on the clock as um, public employees who are allowed to be prioritized to, to follow up on calls from property owners in these specific districts.
1: What's the size of the budgets of the S- of these ESDs?
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. Um, clean and safe, the one that's mostly this district that's downtown, mm-hmm. it has a $5 million budget, um, which you know, covers a lot of things, but including the cost of four full-time Portland police officers, um, and kind of a, an unknown number of, of armed and unarmed private security officers. Um, I think what's interesting is in the Central East Side, um, the Central East Side uh, ISD, which is what it's called, mm-hmm. which is kind of just exactly what it sounds like, the Central East Side kind of of, the, of, of Portland, um, they have their own um, Security team, and I think it's I'm trying to find the number. It's about a million. Their budget's a, a bit smaller, but they have kind of their own um, certified security team. The Lloyd District has uh, their own prosecutor, um, <laughs> their own county yeah. prosecutor that specifically works just to prosecute crimes that that um, property owners call in. So there's a clear kind of uh, imbalance in which. Uh, You know, attention that's being drawn on people, even committing low level crimes in these areas. You know, there's no prosecutor that works um, in Alameda to to look out for um, people who are maybe drunk in public or sleeping on the sidewalk. Uh, It's really directed in areas where there are more uh, helpless folks, and um, as a way to just, it goes against kind of the city's. Um, new focus on trying to help folks who are homeless rather than just keep moving them elsewhere um, and, and criminalize them. Uh, and there's really no checks and balances on that. So, ideally, this audit will um, bring some of these conversations back to City Council and uh, shine a light on some areas that have been ignored for, for a while. Mm.
1: So, are there specific next steps after this audit has been released?
2: Yeah, um, the audit. Usually, when an audit is released, it has to be presented to city council. Mm-hmm. So I'm expecting that will happen in the next couple weeks when there's space on the on the agenda. Um, and that's an opportunity for the city council to really respond and be on the record saying, you know, what they're going to do <laughs> about um, improving transparency here, uh, which I think will be an interesting conversation, especially with all of the conversations city council has been having around. Um, you know, police accountability and oversight and transparency, and um, yeah, this falls right into line with that conversation.
1: Wow, and have you heard any reaction from nonprofits, advocacy organizations, and and their thoughts about the findings in the audit?
2: Yeah, interesting thing about the City Audit Office is that just kind of as a PSA, if anyone um, thinks that there's an area of city government that needs more oversight or that there's questionable kind of practices going on, um, they can kind of bring those concerns to the audit office and say, Hey, you know, here's some stuff that I've been hearing, here's some data I have collected that shows XYZ, you know, you can maybe even work for the city. And in this case there was a um, an organization called um, now I'm forgetting the name. Um, but what are their Native care not Gops. Oh, it's rap uh, the acronym is rap yes. and they they came forward and uh, had been doing a lot of research on these kind of business districts across the west. So also in California and in Colorado, there's some cities where those exist. and they kind of you know brought this to the intention of the editor's office and they ended up looking into it based on this um, you know on this request. And so that group is that works specifically a kind of anti-homeless criminalization um, work is thrilled to see this conversation finally come to light. I'm sure there are a lot of business groups that are not as excited. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I think it's really interesting to see kind of this civic uh, system working fairly when, you know, you go to the auditor's office and you you say, hey, I think there's something wrong going going on here. And then being able to see that end result and start the conversation, um, it's, uh, yeah, It's empowering.
1: Got it and Alex where can our listeners find out more about this audit?
2: Yeah um, it's on our website portlandmercury.com if you look under our news section, a story from last week but we'll definitely be following it and checking in on um, any changes and any responses as it kind of becomes more public.
1: Excellent. Alex thank you so much for joining us this morning and bringing a light to this.
0: Yeah thanks for having me on.
1: And we'll talk to you next week. It's Alex Zelensky, news editor with the Portland Mercury.
0: Thank you to Alex for joining The Local. And a big thanks to our production team. Will Romy, Miranda Selinger, Jonathan Covington-Bram. They're our editors. Writers DJ Ambush, Jonathan Covington-Bram, Kate Kay, Sophie Mallon, Brian Miller, Julia Oppenheimer, Joy Polchuk, Carly Quadros, Jalisa Ringering, Ryder Sherwood, and Sam Smargiassi. Big thanks to co-executive producer Emily Gilliland. I'm Jefferson Smith. Feel free to send story ideas, suggestions to the local at x-ray.fm. Compliments and five star reviews are welcome on Apple Podcasts or the podcast engine of your choice. Also, thanks to original journalism research by the Lund Report, Oregon Health Authority, covid19.healthdata.org, the Oregon Historical Society, the Oregon Encyclopedia History.com, Portland Business Journal, The Willamette Week, Pamplin Media, Wikipedia, OPB, The Oregonian, Bend Bulletin, Statesman Journal, by Portland Street Roots, KJW, and News Partners, The Liner, and The Portland Mercury. And thank you for listening to the Local, your hometown, well, this week, in a little less than thirty minutes. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you Monday.